Hello, hello, and welcome to the EPL show here on FNR Football Nation Radio for your weekly dose of English football. Josh Parrish here with Oscar Rutherford. No Nick Hughes this week, feeling a little under the weather, so uh, COVID safety is uh, is paramount here at the studio, so we always take that very seriously. So he's out, out as a precautionary measure. Uh, but me and Oscar are here to talk FA Cup predominantly, the magic of the cup. We saw it here in Australia on the weekend. We saw it in England as well. Uh, Oscar, what did you enjoy most about the cup ties that we just saw? Yeah, I, well, thanks, Josh, for the for the intro. Well done. Um, I know you've never really done this kind of thing before, so I, I appreciate <laughs> you. I'm usually off screen. I'm usually yeah. just sort of, you know, throwing in random comments from behind the producer's desk. But, yeah. You know. And I mean, without the guidance of Nick Hughes, I thought we'd be lost. But but you know, fortunately, hey, there's an hour to go. Anything oh, could happen. That's right. That's right. So I don't don't wanna... don't count your chickens. No, that's right. Okay, we we don't want to take take for granted how we've gone so far. <laughs> um, no, yeah, it it was it was a really good weekend of of FA Cup action. I thought there were lots of really interesting results. I mean, I loved I loved seeing Macaulay Gillespie score against Chelsea. I think that's that's excellent and that's hilarious. Uh, there were a few cup sets. There was Borum Wood beating Bournemouth, which was really interesting. There was uh, Forest beating Leicester as well. Um, yeah, thumping so, Leicester, four one. Thumping Leicester. That's that's absolutely right. Yeah. So there were there was, there was lots of good stuff. I think the uh, purest magic of the cup comes out when there's like some League Two or non-League side coming up against a Premier League team. And the Premier League players have to slum it in like mm. tiny little mm. dressing rooms and change rooms. And we saw that with Kidderminster Harriers on the weekend. West Ham uh, apparently didn't get the memo that Kidderminster mm. was supposed to do the giant killing and managed to break hearts in the last minute of regulation time and then just about the last minute of extra time as well with goals from Declan Rice and Jared Bowen. Uh, but they pushed them all away, Kidderminster Harriers. And, uh, and Declan Rice showed his appreciation for you know his... Uh, non-league uh, colleagues in in a pretty unique fashion, going into shower with the other players. It's an it's an interesting way of going about it, isn't it? It's it it's it's a it's a kind of camaraderie, I guess. Just uh, real respect. I mean, you know, not a West Ham fan, but that's class. That, yeah, like <laughs> I'll share a dinner table with you. I'll eat in the same room as you. I'll shower with you. Like all these different ways that we can show. The, the 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 shared experience that we all have. Yeah, look, it's it's odd. It was it was an odd day. It was West Ham played terribly the whole game, and they kind of really got lucky to escape with it because of Declan Rice, as you mentioned. Uh, you know, there was also images coming out post match of David Moyes and his assistant going and having a a a, a beer or something with the Kidderminster mar- mm-hmm. managers as well. So there were there, there was lots of. Camaraderie, just proper and, English football, yeah, men that's right. Just sharing their it's mutual the appreciation for yeah. the for the sport. Uh, so Declan Rice, uh, as this uh, headline in mm. the Times goes, uh, breaks hearts in FA Cup, then joins joins Kidderminster victims in showers. Victims, <laughs> yeah, that's curious, intense. curious word word <laughs> choice. Uh, because the away dressing room facilities are so limited at the non-league surrounds of Agborough Stadium, great name by mm. the way. Rice decided to join the players of sixth tier Kidderminster Harriers and congratulate them for a truly admirable performance. Declan Rice has showered with our lads, Russell Penn, the Kidderminster manager, said. 
It's things like this that will live in their memories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure a naked, De- naked Declan Rice would live in your memory. I was going to say, to be fair, <laughs> if Declan Rice were to shower with me, I would remember that for the rest of my life. Yeah, too. for better or worse. But yeah, it, it would leave an impression of some kind. So mm. you know, I, if that's what they got out of the day, good for them. <laughs> Well, certainly a memorable day for Kid and Minster, even though they didn't go through. I, I did see an interview with Declan Rice during the week. He was talking about his uh, his childhood hero. Any guesses? No. He, he came up through the, the Chelsea Academy. Any any guesses about who he might have idolised? I would guess like a Frank Lampard or something. That seems way You're too close. obvious. You're close. I'm close. Same era. Captain leader legend. Mr. JT, of course. Jay, well, I, I, I was thinking positionally close. No, right? okay, no, JT, sorry. sorry. So no. apparently John Terry is is hands down Declan Rice's all-time hero, so much so that he almost decided on uh, on wearing the number 26 right. uh, as on the back of his shirt. Um, but apparently when he got cut by Chelsea, he was famously released by the club when mm. he was 14 or 15, and they've, they've come to rue that mm. decision. Uh, John Terry actually called him. So, you know. There you go. Because, yeah, where's John Terry now? What's he doing at the uh, he's He's working at Chelsea and at flogging Chelsea, yeah. NFTs. That's, yep. that's the, that's the two right. things yeah, he's largely right. up yeah. to. So mentoring young players yeah. and participating in a pyramid scheme. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if the two are linked at all. Yeah, I... I <laughs> I don't really know what to say to all this information. This is, this is, this is very interesting. Yeah, look, I mean, if, if John Terry is... is is Declan Rice's mentor when it comes to strange ways to show appreciation, then maybe Declan Rice will return the favour and head over to Chelsea and join Mason Mount there and whatnot? Yeah, well, I, that's what I was saying. Yeah. I mean, kind of mentor-mentee relationship. Does it does it include JT calling him up and saying, um, you know, how's your, your contract situation? Yeah. you think of staying at West Ham? Any, any chance of uh, shifting on over in that transfer window? I'm sure that's all par for the course when it comes to, to mentorships. Uh, yeah, and I mean, if I'm looking for advice on how to treat my mates and how to behave properly and stuff. I'm going to John Terry first and foremost. So, you know, of course. Of um, course. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad John Terry continues to have an influence and, and, and mould the next generation mm. of English talent. The reason I bring up John Terry is because not mm. everyone is such a big fan of him no. as Declan Rice is. No. Including Wayne Rooney wasn't his biggest fan uh, during his playing days. And there's a new Wayne Rooney documentary coming out on Amazon Prime. So Rooney's been dropping tidbits and doing interviews in the lead up to it. One thing that caught my eye was his revelation that in a 2006 game against Chelsea, he intentionally wore longer studs so he could hurt someone. Mm. Such was the hatred, the visceral hatred between the two teams, and, and Rooney saying that you know he knew they were a better team than them and they were going to lose, and he he couldn't take it. This is during peak Mourinho era where he was riling up everybody left, mm. right, and centre. And uh, yeah, he used to wear the the plastic moulded studs with the the little metal tips, mm. and he changed to a a full screw in metal stud, still legal mind, but the longest yeah. he could legally wear. Just so he could leave a nice big bloody hole in in John Terry's foot, which he he went and did. Yeah. And apparently, this may lead to retrospective sanction, as the Football Association, quote unquote, investigates mm. an incident from sixteen years ago. It does it does feel a bit harsh, doesn't it? It, do, it does feel a bit. Well, I'm not really sure what it's achieving in in a lot of senses. I mean, sure, you want to send a message, but as you say, it's about 16 years too late, isn't mm. it? Not? Yeah, surely the statute of limitations is now yeah. passed on that one. <laughs> statute of limitations on football related injuries. Yeah, that's right. Um, 
But yeah. there is precedent, as you were saying off air, there is precedent for autobiographies to come back and bite players. We're just, of course, alluding to Roy Keane being fined and I think banned for a few games for admitting that he deliberately hurt a player mm-hmm. many years prior as well. So, the I mean, father I, of Erling Haaland, Alpha yes, Inga yes, of Manchester Man City, City yeah. which, I mean... Roy Keane basically snapped his leg in half. It was mm. a far more serious challenge than, than Terry's. I suppose it's just discouraging players to to be overly sharing with their career history mm. and the things that go on behind the scenes. If I want to hear these stories. Exactly right. These are the kinds of things that make it much more interesting, mm. kind of that insight into what's going on in a player's head at a time, even if you can't get that as it's happening, to kind of look back and understand what was happening behind closed doors and then if the FA keeps going around punishing players for that it kind of creates this well why would you tell anyone that at any point because you're always apparently subject to some kind of criticism or interrogation for it yeah and I look I don't think anything will come of this I I assume Hmm. this is just um a standard response that the FA would give if a journalist mm. asked them, are you going to look into this this Rooney admission? And they say, oh, yeah, we're looking into yeah. it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I would be astonished if, you know, long after he's finished playing, Rooney somehow gets like a touchline ban for a tackle from 2006. Because, yeah, I, would it be a touchline ban as opposed to a, a fine or something? I mean, I you know. can't suspend the guy. No. He's not going to hit the pitch anytime soon, unless things at Derby get even more dire than they already are financially. And it's kind of, you know, a fine. I think we've all read the stories about the, the things that Wayne Rooney's putting his money into at Derby. I think he can probably manage to pay a fine. Like, I'm not really sure what that's achieving in, in any case. Yeah, a bit of an odd one, but it does lift the the veil, I guess, on the mentality of the players at that point in time and the uh, intense rivalry between the Premier League clubs, which other players, you know, including I think Rio Ferdinand, has said that such was the competitive tension between the top four, the big four as they are called in those days, uh, that they, it actually impacted the England camp because you couldn't suddenly go from arch rivals who wanted to kill each other on the field to great teammates in the space of an international window. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting to hear because obviously lots of this was happening at a time that I was probably too young to fully comprehend what was going on or appreciate. Yeah, making me feel old here. Yeah, exactly. Gonna... Just to just to let you know, Josh, that that you have to be of a certain vintage to be able to look back on this time period and and reflect fondly. Um, yeah, and and it's you know it's the kind of really interesting insight that you that you get with hindsight. Um, you know, and Wayne, of course, then talking about. You know, he talked about lots of things throughout the documentary. I think we'll move on to more of those things as we go and the impact that having his son had and how that kind of brought him back onto a straighter path and, and one towards a more stable, secure future. But, you know, I, I was hearing you, you say before the show, Josh, about kind of some of the things Wayne got up to and the things he was mm. doing with his spare time and the the mentality, the 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 effort and the, the thing, the sorry, the steps he would take to kind of, achieved that winning which was so important to him at that time and how that may have had longer impact longer term impacts on his career yeah i'll just read out a few quotes here he said uh of that incident we were talking about i changed my studs before the game i put in longer studs because i wanted to hurt somebody if chelsea won a point they won the league at that time i couldn't take it the studs were legal they were illegal size but they were bigger than what i would normally wear he was later injured in the game when his foot twisted in the turf 
which was the infamous metatarsal injury before the 2006 World Cup uh, that, uh, that you know, limited his uh, effectiveness in that tournament. I think the word metatarsal mm. entered the English lexicon yeah. <laughs> at, at that point in time. Uh, but in another clip, and this is from, uh, you know, an Amazon uh, documentary about Rooney's career and his life that's, uh, that's coming up, hence the publicity around these stories. Uh, he says when he finally got to the World Cup in Germany, he suffered a tear in his groin muscle at the end of his first training session in Baden-Baden, but was so desperate to play that he did not tell anyone. So he, he just tore his groin, didn't say a word, said, I'm fed up with all these injuries. Mm. I'm just going to keep playing and hope for the best. And then eventually, you know, he has a terrible tournament and uh, ends up getting England knocked out in the quarterfinals after he stamps on Ronaldo. Yeah. It it makes me kind of wonder about what players are doing today that we don't know about because it feels like today we have such a you know close eye on all of these things and players are being tracked all the way and constantly being assessed and being tested for all sorts of things. So can players still get away with this kind of thing? And presumably not. And just to see how that's changed in such a short space of time, kind of the complexion of what being a player is in the modern game and what that looks like is kind of to see that dramatic mm. shift is really interesting. And I think the other way that you would hope the modern game has made some strides is in sort of player welfare from yeah. a mental health perspective. And that's one thing that Rooney really gets into in this doco is his early struggles with the attention and the pressure at Manchester United and apparently he would look at gaps in the match and training schedule and work out when he had a 48-hour window and would just basically lock himself away and binge drink for two days straight and then put eye drops in and go back to training and hope nobody noticed, mm. which is like pretty scary stuff. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's the kind of thing that you hear stories about happening in the 80s and mm. the 70s and stuff and then to hear that someone so modern and relevant to us was kind of mm. doing those same things, yeah, it, it it it's it's so interesting just to have that light shined on a, you kind of wonder what it's like to be one of these young superstars with all the eyes of the world kind of on them for a certain period of time and everyone expecting mm. so many things and and some players seem to manage it so well but to hear Wayne open up about that kind of thing it's really almost jarring just like I, I don't want to say surprising because it's the kind of thing that you'd almost like, like it, it feels understandable and realistic as 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 a response, but it it it, it makes you glad that you know in the modern world of football that in theory at least there are more kind of preventative measures in place to stop these kinds mm. of things from happening. But how can you, you you can't ever kind of guarantee that it's not happening, can you? And so you wonder what in twenty twenty two the modern day best player in the world or best young talents in the world are kind of going through. It is interesting as well to see that this period coincided with his most prolific and successful time mm. in football. You know, he when he was bursting onto the scene as a young player, he seemed totally invincible and I guess just nobody knew when he was able to get away with it or if they did know, they turned a blind eye, it seems, because uh, it just wasn't the culture at the time to talk about or address that kind of thing. Uh, it's sort of amazing that he was able to burn the candle at both ends in that respect. And then when it gets to a later point in his career, as you say, he was a little bit, you know, more well-behaved and back on the straight and narrow and had his alcoholism under control and certain things. Uh, you know, he actually, his performances dipped and you could see by that point, he's, I think his body had, had caught up with him. You know, his uh, performances 
and also his just physical capacity to take off and accelerate and change directions and so forth. He was a different, like he looked different, he moved differently. And I think it, the fact that Rooney's career maybe didn't live up to the early promise and the early expectations might be something to do with the way, what he put himself through in those early days. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's sort of a speculative theory, I suppose. But. It, it, it's it's obviously hard to know. Who, who, mm. Like, who knows what it, what it would have been like otherwise. But, but yeah, the... He is a player who we we felt physically kind of deteriorated a bit mm. earlier, a bit more rapidly than we see lots of players. And so, well, he did start early. To be fair, like he was playing as a sixteen-year-old, yeah. scoring against Arsenal for mm. Everton. You know, he was the most expensive teenager in British football history. So, I suppose he he probably had his physical peak earlier, and there was some of that was was natural. But also, it didn't seem like, uh, at least in the early part of his career, he took particularly good care of himself off the field and you know with all of the players who've kind of broken appearance records and lasted a long time they seem to have a little you know different habits I suppose. I imagine I mean obviously lots of the kind of contemporary talk around Wayne Rooney is what he's doing at Derby County and how impressive he's been he's getting these results he's wrapping these players his arms around these players and overcoming lots of odds and fighting and grifting and all those kinds of things and he's getting lots of praise for that and rightfully so and you kind of wonder how those early years, those formative experiences kind of shape him and put him in, in give him that perspective so that he mm. can kind of at this stage in his life have these life skills and have been through these experiences. And I wonder kind of, you know, how, how much that that's the case that having had been through that, he's kind of benefiting now and having that perspective and, and that understanding of the place of football in the broader world and, and, and you know, I, I I would like to think that it makes him, for example, a better manager because he understands kind of the the extreme situations that players obviously find themselves in maybe better than a lot of others. Um, and, you know, Derby County, what they're going through, it's not the same to what an individual like Wayne went through at that age. But I, I would imagine that that he, that hindsight makes him a more well-rounded individual at this point. Well, uh, that documentary on Wayne Rooney's life is out very soon on Amazon. I'm definitely going to be watching that one because it seems like there's a few uh, interesting revelations. If it's interesting enough for you to get in trouble with the Football Association (laughs) uh, 16 years after the fact, then then I'm in. They'll start marketing it like that, won't they? (laughs) Why why, why are the FA investigating Wayne Rooney now? (laughs) For stuff that he said in this documentary. So uh, speaking of players' behaviours off the field... Jack Grealish has come under a little scrutiny as well. I won't talk about the Leicester players because I think that's just nonsense. Mm. But, uh, you know, who hasn't gone out after a bad day of work? But uh, Jack Grealish having, I would say, a terrible season at Manchester City, but it doesn't seem to have had any impact on the team whatsoever. They seem to be able to function just as well without him. Uh, but he still hasn't uh, covered himself in glory with uh, clips emerging in, in the team, tabloids of him being turned away from a from a bar because he was he was too drunk to get in. And it's not the first time that, that Jack Grealish's off the pitch antics have come under scrutiny. Uh, what did you make of this? And and what do you think City and Pep Guardiola will make of this, given the money that they've they've invested in him? Well, I mean, Pep Guardiola's already given a bit of a response, hasn't he? And he's kind of been very defensive of his players and doesn't think that they've done anything wrong and perhaps he's right and it's always nice to see a manager kind of stand up for his players like that. I I think Pep Guardiola is speaking from, 
Yeah, and like this, this kind of stands up broadly when you talk about all the terrible things that particular young footballers do and all the bad decisions that they make. And it's, I, I just all, all all of this this conversation and all these things about Wayne Rooney just kind of really reinforce in my mind just how much scrutiny these players are under all the time and how careful and 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 how mm. how intensely they have to surveil their own lives. And it, it seems so difficult for these young individuals with you know, mm. so much energy and potential and money and wealth and money and wealth and and power and fame to kind of manage that in an effective way. And so it's, it, it, it just, the, I, I, I'm rambling a bit, but I suppose in my mind, the conclusion is something about how do you foster an effective culture within football, which is obviously so hard because of how varied and diverse all of football is, but a, a culture where these kinds of situations are managed and that the players have the support and the knowledge and the awareness to know how to best go about these kinds of things while still enjoying themselves and having a good time because what we don't yeah. want to fall into the trap of is saying it's not okay to be going out and doing anything whatsoever kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think these stories get viewed through the lens of how the players are performing on mm. the pitch a lot of the time. And if they're performing well, it's like, oh, you know, so-and-so has a pint with the fans, what a legend. And if they aren't, mm. you know, it's look at this, you know, idiot wasting their career away and look at all the money they're earning and do they deserve it and so forth. And you mentioned Pep Guardiola's response, which is um, I'm upset because they didn't invite me, mm. which was a pretty good line. Yeah. But then he sort of gave the game away afterwards. He said, I'm so upset they didn't invite me. I hope next time they can do the dinner properly at 8 o'clock uh, sober and invite me. So he actually is pissed off about it, I think. The the next line gave gave the game away there. Uh, but in terms of, uh, of Grealish, I mean, we were speaking to Johnny Gould, uh, you know, broadcaster and Aston Villa fan a little while ago about sort of uh, system at City and why it's almost a waste of Jack Grealish's talents. You know, he, he's in a straight jacket now tactically where it doesn't really matter what he does on the field because the collective is is the emphasis as opposed to sort of Roy, Roy at the Rovers individualist stuff that he was doing at Aston Villa. And all he has to do now is the ball gets switched out to him and he controls it and he passes it back to Cancelo. Mm. And, you know, any anyone can do that. Mm. You know, so I I wonder whether this move is living up to what he thought it would be. And, you know, it's easy, easy to overanalyze these off-the-pitch yeah. incidents. But I can understand, you know, your focus drifting if, you know, you're having a terrible campaign, you've barely scored any goals or done anything of use on the pitch and you're still top of the league and it doesn't matter who plays in your position, the team is still just as good. Well, I think when you mentioned the tendency to overanalyze these things, because he had these kinds of incidents occur whilst he was at Villa too, didn't he? Like he yeah, every now and again. Throughout his career. But I think that the lens... That were viewed for a different lens because yeah, yeah, he was we, playing we, so Yeah, we view well. that really differently, don't we? Because, you know, at one point he's the star, most important player that Villa have and isn't it great all these things he's doing for his hometown club and now it, it feels all a bit further detached from reality and a bit more he's part of this cosmopolitan superpower machine and, and, and look at what it's turned this sweet young man into kind of thing like the 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 narrative around it changes really dramatically on really short notice and I think quite unfairly towards players well with that I think we'll take a break and on the other side uh, let's talk a little bit more about the FA Cup and the Premier League fixtures that have happened midweek with uh, big implications for the relegation battle uh, with Newcastle picking up a much much needed three points (laughs) 